Hey, everybody, and welcome into episode 33 of Jake's Take. I am Jake Heller. Appreciate you guys tuning in once again. Hope everybody is having an awesome weekend. Wish there was a lot to talk about, but it's been a boring week in the NFL. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. God, what a week we had. The longest week in NFL history, week 12 of the 2020, well, there it is, 2020 NFL season. And it started on Thanksgiving, 1230, with the Detroit Lions and the Houston Texans. And it finally concluded close to 7 o'clock at night on Wednesday with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens. Now, how we got there, it all started on Monday, November 23rd. And I have a complete timeline here from James Dator of SB Nation. Monday, November 23rd, the first signs of problems emerged following the Ravens' overtime loss against the Tennessee Titans. On Sunday night, multiple players tested positive for COVID-19, with the team announcing the results of the test and adding they were closing down practice facilities to limit the spread. Baltimore moved to virtual preparations, still expecting to play on Thursday. However, reports indicated that Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins both tested positive. Without its two primary running backs, Gus Edwards was slotted to start against the Steelers. Tuesday, the Ravens announced more players have tested positive for COVID-19. The biggest name Tuesday is linebacker Pernell McPhee, who is added to the injury list due to the virus. Despite now missing numerous starters, there is belief the game will still be played Thursday night. Thanksgiving Eve, November 25th. On the eve of the scheduled game, the Ravens announced more players and personnel test positive. In response, the NFL officially postponed the Thanksgiving night game, saying it will take place Sunday afternoon at 1.15 p.m. Neither side is happy about the decision. Some Ravens players voiced their displeasure with the league for putting them at risk in the first place. And as I said, a lot of Pittsburgh Steelers were very pissed off about the game being moved to Sunday afternoon as well. The Steelers also unhappy with their primetime game being moved with just over 24 hours of notice. Pittsburgh sent to enter the game undefeated is pushing for a first-round bye and potentially home field advantage throughout the playoffs. The decision to move the game impacts their future preparations. The Ravens announced they have internally disciplined a staff member believed to have been a strength and conditioning coach for failing to follow protocols. Sure enough, Saunders, he was suspended. In addition, three more players are added to the Ravens' COVID list, two on the offensive line and one on the defense. Thanksgiving. With the game officially postponed, reports emerged that more players have tested positive, including starting quarterback Lamar Jackson. This brings the team's total to seven players who are officially on the COVID list with another four reportedly testing positive, but not being added to the list yet. And John Harbaugh, their head coach, reportedly told the players that they'd be working remotely until Monday at the earliest, which counters the NFL's plans that, of the game taking place on Sunday. So sure enough, Friday afternoon, November 27th, the NFL announces that the game will now be moved to Tuesday night, 8 o'clock, confirming Harbaugh's remarks to the players. As a result, Baltimore's Thursday night game against the Cowboys will now be moved to 5 o'clock on Monday to avoid the Ravens playing, you know, unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. With the game plan, while the game plan seems to be solidifying, it's announced that four players, including Lamar Jackson, have been added to Baltimore's COVID reserve list. This is quickly followed by the Steelers, who add three of their own, including defensive end Stephon Tuitt. 
Saturday, November 28th, Baltimore conducts widespread rapid testing to try and understand the breadth of their COVID spread. In this testing, it's revealed that another six players have tested positive and will be added to the COVID list. This brings the team's total to 17 players who are presumed to be unavailable for the Tuesday night game. Also that day, James Conner, starting running back for the Steelers, he tested positive for COVID-19 and was placed on the COVID list. And what's scary about that is, as we all know, James Conner, cancer survivor himself. As of right now, it's looking like he will be out for the game against Washington. Sunday, November 29th, preparations for a Tuesday night game continued despite numerous problems rearing their head. The current plan for Ravens players to travel and play the same day, flying on two separate flights to Pittsburgh in an effort to limit potential spread. In the midst of this, the Ravens announce another positive test, this time wide receiver Willie Sneed. And then Monday, November 30th, the NFL intervenes and stops the Ravens from practicing as planned. The team will not be able to conduct any practices prior to playing Tuesday night or so everyone thinks. More players are added to the Ravens' COVID list. Then it's announced late Monday afternoon, early evening, that the NFL will once again move the game, this time to Wednesday at 3.40, in hopes that teams will prepare properly for the game. By the time it was all said and done, and here's the thing, there was talk about several Ravens players about them possibly going on strike if the game would have been on Tuesday night. So why the hell did the NFL cater to John Harbaugh and the Baltimore Ravens, you know, moving the game from Thanksgiving to Sunday, then moving it to Tuesday night, now all of a sudden, oh, you know, and giving them the option to, oh, well, you guys can fly to Pittsburgh whenever you feel like it. You know, and they just pushed and pushed and pushed the game as far back as they could. And the amazing thing about it is, you know, when it finally got pushed back to Wednesday, a 340 kickoff and a 340 kickoff on NBC because, you know, oh, the Rockefeller Tree Center ceremony or, or whatever that crap was. Like, seriously? Seriously, you're just going to cater to John Harbaugh and the Baltimore Ravens while at the same time you make the Denver Broncos use a practice squad wide receiver to be your starting quarterback against the New Orleans Saints? Are you kidding me? And the thing is, you know, the Denver Broncos, they wanted to have one of their assistant coaches play quarterback. Oh, you won't allow that. That's a competitive advantage. How's that a competitive advantage? You say that's a competitive advantage, you know, because they wanted the game, not only that, but the Broncos wanted their game to move to Monday. You don't do that. You make them kick off 4 or 5 Eastern time on Sunday against the Saints and get demolished 31-3. But yet, you know, John Harbaugh and the Baltimore Ravens, you have the game moved three times to the point that Wednesday, when the game was finally getting ready to take place on Wednesday, Mark Engram and J.K. Dobbins, hmm, what a coincidence. They passed their 10-day isolation period and they could have played. What a coincidence. You know, I'm, I'm sure if, if John Harbaugh and the Ravens, I'm sure if they would have gotten it pushed back even further, you know, I'm sure that it would have gotten to the point that it would have been a week 18 and Lamar Jackson would have been able to play at quarterback instead of RG3. I mean, it was just absolutely ridiculous. By, by December 1st, Tuesday, December 1st, the Ravens had 21 players on their COVID list. 21 players. And, you know, they finally, finally flew out to Pittsburgh on Tuesday night. Like, unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. And the game itself, you know, Marquise Pouncey, the center for the Pittsburgh Steelers, sure enough, he was placed on the COVID list just hours before the game on Wednesday. But thankfully, 
No positive tests on the Steelers or the Ravens Wednesday morning and afternoon, so the game was good to go. By about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, the NFL finally said we are good to go after all this time. And you could tell it felt like a preseason game. You could tell a majority of the starters were out on both sides of, uh, of it. When you look at the Steelers, when you look at the Ravens, when you look at how much both teams struggled, you know, like that's the thing. Robert Griffin III, you know, aside from the 39-yard run on third and nine, Skip Bayless, who, you know, was RG3's biggest fan when he came out of college at Baylor and won the Heisman, he said that it was hard to watch. I mean, he's, he's a shell of himself. And it's been that way ever since he tore his ACL, his rookie season in the playoffs. And sure enough, Joe Hayden of the Pittsburgh Steelers and Florida Gators, sure enough, Joe Hayden early on in the first quarter, he picked off Robert Griffin III, ran it back for a pick six and a touchdown. But Chris Boswell missed the extra point. And then not too long after that, Ben Roethlisberger, one of the most boneheaded throws I've ever seen, fourth and goal in the end zone, throwing to the Baltimore Ravens and getting intercepted. And Gus Edwards getting the touchdown for the Ravens, and they were actually leading. And the one problem that I noticed with the Steelers was all of the drops. All of the drops. And, I mean, you know, Ben was very critical of himself after the game was over, you know, and saying, like, oh, I didn't play my best, we didn't play our best. And, you know, aside from the boneheaded interception, I mean, Ben, I thought, did as best as he could, you know, to have 286 yards and a touchdown to Juju Smith-Schuster that that looked like it just about sealed it at that point. But at the same time, all the drops that Juju had, Claypool, Deontay Johnson, Eric Ebron, I must have counted, there there was close to a dozen drops by the Pittsburgh Steelers receivers. And, of course, the other thing, too, that we have talked about with the Pittsburgh Steelers, they have got to do a better job getting the running game going. Benny Snell only having about 64 rushing yards on the night. And, of course, I think the biggest story of all with the Pittsburgh Steelers is just the the heartbreaking news of Bud Dupree being lost for the season with a torn ACL. As we all know, this is a contract year for Bud. He was franchised. I'm just hoping that this isn't that this wasn't his last down as a Pittsburgh Steeler because him and TJ Watt, that was quite a one-two punch at linebacker. And TJ Watt, how about that? Defensive player of the month, AFC defensive player of the month for November. And that's twice this year, September as well. And sure enough, he leads the league with 10 sacks. He leads the league with tackles for a loss. So I'm not saying this as a Steelers fan, just as someone that's watched this game for 25 years. It would be an absolute crime if T.J. Watt is not named Defensive Player of the Year. So, also with the Baltimore Ravens, Robert Griffin III got pulled. And sure enough, it was a hamstring. He's been placed on short-term injured reserve. And Trace McSorley, six-round draft pick out of Penn State last year. He came in at quarterback, and he got the Ravens down the field pretty easily. And it was 19-14, to so it was not a cakewalk at all for the Pittsburgh Steelers, who improved to 11-0. and But I'll tell you, the way that Ben Roethlisberger talked to Michelle Tafoya afterwards and the way that Mike Tomlin addressed the media in his post-game press conference, you'd swear the team's 0-11. You know, Mike Tomlin even said himself, he said, we did not play good today. He said, we looked like a JV unit out there. And, you know, that's the other thing, too. They're 11-0. They're on the brink of possibly clinching the AFC North this coming Monday against the Washington football team. 
I have never in my life seen a team that's 11-0 get so much disrespect like the Pittsburgh Steelers have gotten, honestly. And I'll tell you, it all starts with Colin Coward. Colin Coward, as we all know, you know, the herd on Fox Sports 1, you know, Monday through Friday, noon to 3 and everything. We all know what Colin Coward, that, in his mind, Tom Brady could do no wrong. In his mind, LeBron James can do no wrong. And when he'll trash talk someone else, whether it's been the Steelers, the Eagles, the Seahawks, at some point or another, his con- at some point or another, he has to bring Tom Brady into the conversation or LeBron James into the conversation, making some sort of stupid correlation that just doesn't even add up whatsoever. And for two solid days, on Thursday and Friday, Colin Coward, oh my God, I have never, like I said, I have never seen an 11 and 0 team get trashed like he has. You know, this. All right, on Thursday, he said, Pittsburgh Steelers fans, you need to grow up. This is not a Super Bowl team. Go cry in your terrible towels. You're 11-0, and it feels hollow. And then on um, Friday, when Colin Coward said, oh, I'll take the Bills over Pittsburgh. I think Buffalo does several things very well, and I'm not sure what the Steelers do well. You're not sure what the Steelers do well, and you're a, a national media member, a supposed, you know, Sports analyst, you don't know what the Steelers do well? They're 11-0, buddy. What kind of crap is that? You know, I get so sick and tired of people saying, oh, the Steelers, you know, they have an easy schedule. No wonder why they're 11-0. Look, it's no different than when Tom Brady and the Patriots, when they would start 11-0 with a cupcake schedule. You know, you go look up, look up the 2007 New England Patriots. Look up that cupcake schedule when they went 16-0. Seriously, look it up. You know, it, it's, it amazes me the hypocrisy that there is in the media. All right, here we go. 2007 New England Patriots, when they started 11-0, they beat the New York Jets 34-13, who went 4-12 that year. They beat the San Diego Chargers, who they, who they would end up playing in the AFC Championship. But Buffalo Bills, 7-9. Cincinnati Bengals, 7-9. Cleveland Browns, Dallas Cowboys, sure enough, they were good that year. They beat the Miami Dolphins, 49-28, who went 1-15 that year. They beat the Washington Redskins, 52-7. They ran up the score on Joe Gibbs, a team that barely snuck in at 9-7. Sure enough, they did beat Peyton Manning in the Indianapolis Colts 24-20, gave them their first loss of the year. But then after that, beating the Buffalo Bills 56-10 on Sunday Night Football, beating the Philadelphia Eagles 31-28 on Sunday Night Football, barely beating the Philadelphia Eagles, Donovan McNabb was out with an injury. You're going to gloat about, you know, that's the thing with Colin Coward, you're going to gloat about that, the kind of schedule like that, and say, oh, that was one of the greatest teams in NFL history. Yeah, well, I'm sure if if Tom Brady was on the Pittsburgh Steelers right now, you'd be saying that the 2020 Pittsburgh Steelers, one of the greatest teams in NFL history. Give me a break. Let's take a look at the 2011 Green Bay Packers while we're at it, okay? You know, when they they were 11-0, okay, they beat Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints. But you beat Cam Newton and the Carolina Panthers, his rookie season. Jay Cutler and the Chicago Bears, 8-8. Denver Broncos, 49-23, before Tim Tebow took over. 
Atlanta Falcons. Atlanta was decent that year. St. Louis Rams, 24-3 when they went 2-14. Minnesota Vikings, who went 3-13 that year. San Diego Chargers, they missed the playoffs. Beat the Vikings again. Beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who went 4-12 that year with Josh Freeman and Raheem Morris. And then beating the Detroit Lions on Thanksgiving. Need I say more? It just amazes me the amount of hypocrisy there is in the media, honestly. Okay, so the Steelers beat Daniel Jones and the New York Giants. Oh, well, it's his first full year as a starter. It's a rookie head coach. Oh, the Steelers beat the Denver Broncos. You know, Drew Locke and Cortland Sutton, they got hurt in that game. Von Miller, he's done for the season. Oh, they beat the Houston Texans before Bill O'Brien got fired. Oh, they beat the Philadelphia Eagles. Philadelphia is a train wreck this year. They beat the Cleveland Browns. You know, Cleveland's 8-3. and three. Granted, you know, their schedule. You want to talk about a cupcake schedule, look at the Cleveland Browns schedule. Seriously. Oh, they beat the Tennessee Titans. You know, but Steven Gostowski missed that kick and the refs were horrible. They were up 24-7 to in that game. They beat the Baltimore. Oh, they beat the Baltimore Ravens twenty-four to twenty. Baltimore outplayed them. Did they win? No, they didn't. Oh, they beat the Dallas Cowboys thanks to the referees. The three and eight Dallas Cowboys. Dallas always plays them tough. I don't want to hear it. You know, oh, they beat the Cincinnati Bengals thirty-six to ten. You know, it was the worst game of Joe Burrow's career so far. What do you expect? And then, oh, they beat the Jacksonville Jaguars twenty-seven to three. Like I said. You know, people get on the Steelers' ass about their schedule. It's not, like, it's not like they created it themselves. The NFL creates it. Look up the formula. Seriously. You know, everyone talks about, oh, the, the combined opponent record for the Pittsburgh Steelers this year. It's 33 wins, 47 losses, and two ties. Look at the Kansas City Chiefs. Their opponent record this year is 33-50. and 50. But everybody wants to crown them and act like they've already won the Super Bowl. Like I said, it's hypocrisy at its finest. That's all you can say. So, now we move ahead to week 13 in the NFL, which would have kicked off on Thursday night with the Dallas Cowboys at the Baltimore Ravens. But because of, you know, John Harbaugh getting the game pushed back three times, a lot of changes were made, no Thursday night football. And we actually have two games on Monday. Sure enough, at 5 o'clock, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Washington football team. It was supposed to be a 1 o'clock kickoff yesterday at Heinz Field. Before Monday Night Football, Buffalo Bills at the, should I say, San Francisco 49ers or Arizona 49ers? Because last Saturday, talk about a crazy week in the NFL. Last Saturday, Santa Clara County announced no contact sports for at least the next three weeks. So that left the San Francisco 49ers without a home indefinitely. And, you know, people forget, you know, San Francisco, they have not really been in San Francisco since the end of 2013 when it was the end of Candlestick Park. Since then, they play in Santa Clara, which I guess is like 40, 50 miles away, somewhere around there. So the San Francisco 49ers, they are now having to play their games out in Arizona and practice out in Arizona. They're sharing the same stadium with the Arizona Cardinals. How crazy is that? I mean, this is 2020. 
You know, I mean, picture that's crazy to be sharing a stadium with your division rival. But like I said, thankfully, Arizona has been very, very gracious about it and been willing to help out because, you know, the San Francisco 49ers home game Monday night against the Buffalo Bills. Then next week, they were going to have a home game against the Washington football team. So I'm sure that has to be tough for Kyle Shanahan, all the 49er, 49er players having to be out in Arizona for as long as possible, not even knowing if you're going to be able to spend Christmas with your family. But crazy and scary times right now with COVID-19, I'll tell you that. So, and then week 16, week 16, the San Francisco 49ers and the Arizona Cardinals will be playing each other. How crazy is that? As far as I know, I believe that is going to be a Saturday afternoon game. Because the cool thing with the NFL, weeks 15 and 16, we always have those Saturday games in December. You know, when college football, when it's kind of died down for a few weeks and you just have the bowl games. So week 15, we have two Saturday games, 4.30 Eastern time, Buffalo Bills at the Denver Broncos. And then for 8.15, the Carolina Panthers at the Green Bay Packers. Not really appealing matchups, but hey, it's Saturday football. I love it. And then week 16, the day after Christmas, 1 o'clock, Tampa Bay at Detroit. Like I said, not the most appealing. But then 4.30 Eastern time, San Francisco at Arizona. And then 8.15, the Miami Dolphins at the Las Vegas Raiders. Playoff implications galore. I cannot wait for that game. So let's talk some week 13 games, why don't we? We're going to start off with the 8-3 Cleveland Browns at the 8-3 Tennessee Titans, baby. Woo! When I look at this game, Cleveland, like I said, they're 8-3. But really, it's been a product of their schedule more than anything. And they barely beat the Jacksonville Jaguars last Sunday, 27-25. And Baker Mayfield... I might not agree with Colin Coward on a lot of things, but I'll agree with him on one thing. You know, Baker Mayfield, I feel like he's actually regressed ever since his rookie year. Just a lot of boneheaded, erratic decisions. And it showed on Sunday so many times that game, guys were wide open and he was missing them, clearly missing them. I mean, really, the only one that had a productive day was Jarvis Landry. And we all know about how potent of a one-two punch that running game is for Cleveland with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. But on the other side of the ball, what else can you say about Derrick Henry? Derrick Henry, three touchdowns in the first half against the Indianapolis Colts. Three touchdowns in the first half. And, of course, Ryan Tannehill, you know, the amazing season that he has had, it's continued. Had a couple touchdowns on Sunday, one to A.J. Brown, even got a rushing touchdown himself. And A.J. Brown... Recovering an onside kick by Indianapolis and taking it back to the house for a touchdown. So you look at that, and you know the other thing too, John U. Smith, their tight end, he's going to be out with a knee injury. And like Jason Boone talked about, Anthony Ferksker, he is more of a blocking tight end. So I'm sure Mike Vrabel and Arthur Smith, I'm sure at some point they're going to try and get Swaim in, involved into the game plan. But let's face it, we all know what the game plan is. It's feeding that ball to Derrick Henry. And this is usually the time of the year when he performs at his best. Now, as far as I know, Miles Garrett, he hasn't been activated off of the COVID list yet. 
So I think it's going to be a very, very long day for the Cleveland Browns. And I am taking the Tennessee Titans. Woo! The 6-5 Las Vegas Raiders at the 0-11 New York Jets. Now, this game, believe it or not, this could be a trap game. Because John Gruden and the Las Vegas Raiders, they struggle in 1 o'clock East Coast games. I mean, look at this past Sunday, losing 43-6 to to the Atlanta Falcons. Derek Carr having one of the worst games of his career. Sure enough, Deion Jones, the pick six that he had of him, running back to the house. And the Raiders' defense especially, has that, that's been the, the Achilles heel of them for sure. Arnett getting knocked out, sure enough, the very first play of the game with a concussion. You look at that. You look at Cleland Farrell. He's been banged up all week. Jonathan Abram, another one of their defensive backs. He's been rolled out for tomorrow. But I think the biggest blow of all, their running back, Josh Jacobs. And we know that John Gruden, it's been more of a ground and pound offense for the Las Vegas Raiders this year. He's out with an ankle injury. Nelson Aguilar, he's doubtful because of an ankle injury. And when I talked to Kyle Williams yesterday, he said, this game rests on Derek Carr's shoulders. It really does. I mean, he is going to have to air that baby out tomorrow. And, you know, the New York Jets, they're 0 11. But let's not forget, last year, when the Raiders went up to New Jersey to play the New York Jets and it was a 1 o'clock game, they lost 34 3. And they were in great position to be a wild card team up until that point. And the last month of the season, they never really mentally recovered from that. And they won one game the rest of the year. So this could be a bit of a trap game. You know, Sam Darnold, he's going to be out there. But I think his confidence has just been absolutely shot. I think this year with the team being 0-11, with the shoulder injury, even though you're still feeding the ball to Frank Gore, even though you've got two awesome receivers, Brashad Perryman being one of them, Denzel Mims being another one. You know, that's the thing. Derek Carr and Darren Waller, I'm going to be curious to see if they could get that combination going tomorrow because, like I said, Derek Carr is not really going to have much to work with except him and Hunter third down Renfro, as we all know. But nevertheless, I'm taking the Las Vegas Raiders. The 1-10 Jacksonville Jaguars at the 5-7 Minnesota Vikings. Excuse me. Incredible comeback by the Minnesota Vikings in the fourth quarter. Last Sunday against the Carolina Panthers, ironically beating their old quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater. You know, Kirk Cousins, sure enough, those two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, one of them being to Justin Jefferson, the other one being to Chad Beebe. What an amazing story that was. And, of course, Dalvin Cook, I know he's been banged up a little bit these last couple weeks, but we all know. We all know how he's arguably one of the best running backs in the league. Alexander Madison, their backup running back, he's been ruled out for tomorrow with an illness. And, of course, with the Jacksonville Jaguars, it sounds like, you know, Doug Marone, whatever time he has left in Jacksonville, it sounds like Mike Lennon will get the start at quarterback once again. And once again, the guy that has pretty much kept them in games and been the most productive, rookie running back James Robinson, undrafted rookie running back who I picked up the second week of, of the season for fantasy football. But even with James Robinson, even with Keelan Cole, it, I I honestly see Minnesota winning this game and keeping their slim, slim playoff hopes alive. 
two eight and one Cincinnati Bengals, seven and four Miami Dolphins. Brian Flores he is channeling his mentor Bill Belichick. Now last week against the Jets they won twenty to three. Tua Tungavailoa he was out with a thumb injury. Ryan Fitzpatrick, sure enough he got the nod to start. And they asked Brian Flores the other day they said who's starting against the Bengals, and he said I'll tell you guys Sunday. That's definitely channeling Bill Belichick right then and there. But this has been a very good day for the Miami Dolphins when you think of it. Miles Gaskin, their running back, sure enough, he was activated earlier today. So even if it's going to be Fitzmagic or, or Tua, that's, that's a huge, huge piece to finally have back for the Miami Dolphins. And, of course, Xavier Howard, their corner on the other side of the ball, <clears throat> the amazing season he has had having – Six or seven interceptions on the season. Sure enough, he got one this past Sunday against the New York Jets, and I'm sure he's going to get several of them against – he could get one of them against the Cincinnati Bengals. Brandon Allen being the starting quarterback. So Miami Dolphins. The 7-4 Indianapolis Colts at the 4-7 Houston Texans. The thing with Phillip Rivers is he's a good quarterback. He's always been a good quarterback. But, boy, can he be erratic at times and turn the ball over at the worst time possible. And sure enough, it reared its ugly head this past Sunday against the Tennessee Titans. And when you look at that and you look at Jacoby Brissett being brought in for goal line situations, their backup quarterback, and to the point, Phillip Rivers played so bad that Frank Reich actually put Jacoby Brissett in towards the end of the game once the game got out of hand. You have one of the best Pass catching backs with Naeem Hines. Jonathan Taylor, he will be back. He was taken off the COVID list. He was placed on it last week because his girlfriend had COVID-19 and he had to isolate himself. So he'll be back. T.Y. Hilton finally had had a better game this past Sunday after being banged up most of the year. And the Houston Texans, I mean, Deshaun Watson had an amazing game on Thanksgiving. Four touchdowns, two very, very Long touchdowns to Wolf Fuller. I ended up losing fantasy football because of it. And David Johnson was activated off of injured reserve. You know, I know Duke Johnson, he's been carrying the rock a little bit these last couple weeks. And Wolf Fuller was suspended the rest of the season for PEDs. So, you have that. You have and J.J. Watt having a pick six on Thanksgiving of Matt Stafford. Big, big win on Thanksgiving, 41-25 for the Houston Texans, keeping their very, very slim playoff hopes alive. And, you know, I'm still hearing all these rumblings that, you know, oh, Romeo Cornell might become the permanent head coach. I don't know how I feel about that, especially with him being 73 years old. But I think this will be a close game, but I do see Indianapolis prevailing. You know, because, let's face it, even with them being 7-4, and four, they're in jeopardy of missing the playoffs. So the margin for error is very, very slim for the Colts. They have to win this game. Now talking about the Detroit Lions and Thanksgiving, very, very erratic performance by them. And, I mean, giving up 41 points, some stupid trick plays, like trying to throw that touchdown to, to Matt Stafford early on in the game. And carry on Johnson – Carrion Johnson did a very, very good job taking DeAndre Swift's place, who has been downgraded to doubtful for tomorrow, not because of a concussion, but he's not feeling well. Kenny Galladay, he is out again. They got rid of Marvin Hall. So, I mean, really, the only two true targets 
that Matt Stafford is going to have for tomorrow are Marvin Jones and TJ Hawkinson at tight end. And Matt, please don't throw much to TJ Hawkinson because I'm going up against Sean and he has them. <laughs> but 48 hours after a humiliating loss on Thanksgiving, on national television, 41-25 with most of the country watching, head coach Matt Patricia and general manager Bob Quinn were relieved of their duties. Daryl Bevel, the offensive coordinator, who spent many, many years with Brett Favre, whether it was in Green Bay or Minnesota, Daryl will be the interim head coach to finish out the 2020 season. And I know a lot of people are advocating for Robert Sala, defensive coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers. I know a lot of people are advocating for him to possibly become the new head coach in 2021. So 4-7 Detroit Lions, they're taking on the 5-6 and six Chicago Bears. Talk about... Talk about two train wreck teams in the NFC North. I mean, this was a team that started 5-1, and one, but very, very inconsistent play at quarterback. Whether it was Mitch Trubisky getting benched week three against the Falcons, Nick Foles coming in and saving the day once again, but then laying an egg against the Colts, but then coming back to beat Tom Brady on Thursday Night Football. Just inconsistent play. Who would have thought that they'd lose five games in a row? And Nick Foles, sure enough, he injured his hip the Monday night game against the Vikings a few weeks ago. So Matt Nagy, he went back to Mitch Trubisky. And Mitch was awful Sunday night against the Green Bay Packers. And how ironic, Detroit and Chicago, they both lost last weekend 41-25. And Matt Nagy said it himself after the game is over. He said, we all have to do better. I have to coach better. Players have to play better. But I'll tell you what, after starting 5-1, and one, losing five games in a row, I think Matt Nagy's seat just got a hell of a lot warmer in Chicago, let's face it. And let's face it, even if you have Allen Robinson, Allen Robinson wants out of there. He really, really wants out of there. I mean, he was liking tweets on Sunday night, people suggesting that he should leave Chicago. So that tell you where his mind is at. That tell you, you know, the Chicago Bears, let's face it, it's their defense. It's their defense that had a huge part in them starting 5-1. and one with Khalil Mack, you know? So I think I say the Chicago Bears in a very, very close game. 9-2 and two, New Orleans Saints at the 4-7 and seven Atlanta Falcons, a very underrated 4-7. and seven. I mean, John Gruden was praising them after getting blown out 43-6 to six last Sunday. He said, he said, as crazy as it may sound, this is the, one of the best 4-7 and seven teams I've ever seen in my life. Amazing, absolutely amazing, and how ironic losing to Raheem Morris, the guy that replaced him in Tampa Bay when he was fired in January 2009. But sure enough, the defense is playing better. Matt Ryan putting up the typical numbers that he does. Calvin Ridley, he's back and healthy. You know, Julio Jones, he's been battling some injuries. And I know Todd Gurley was was absent this past Sunday against the Raiders. Didn't really seem to make that much of a difference. On the other side of the ball, you know, New Orleans, Taysom Hill, I mean, I've seen such a transition, you know, where they, I mean, we all know with Taysom Hill, how he just, he's more of a runner and having the option. And seeing them transition from Alvin Kamara to Latavius Murray as pretty much being the lead back for the New Orleans Saints. And Alvin Kamara, as we all know, he thrives in PPR leagues. You know, he thrives when Drew Brees would be throwing him the ball. And ever since Taysom Hill took over as the starter, 
I think he had one catch, one catch against the Denver Broncos this past Sunday. So as good as the Falcons have looked under Raheem Morris, I'm, I got to take the Saints. Now we move to the 4 o'clock games, the 4-7 and seven New York Giants, the 8-3 and three Seattle Seahawks. You know, Daniel Jones, very, very close win, 19-17 over the Cincinnati Bengals, but the bigger story out of all of this was he tweaked his hamstring. He's looking doubtful for tomorrow, and it sounds like good old Colt McCoy is going to be starting at quarterback for the New York Giants. But, you know, with the New York Giants, the guy that has been the most productive for them has been their running back, Wayne Gallman. Now, Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks, it was, I guess you could say an ugly win on Monday night to only beat the Philadelphia Eagles 23-17 to when they're in such a tailspin right now. And Russell's production, I don't want to jinx myself because, like I said, I'm going up against Sean Rosansky and he has Russell Wilson as his quarterback in fantasy. But let's face it, Russell Wilson, his, I mean, he was the runaway for MVP earlier this year. But those numbers have sort of tapered off these last few weeks. As we know, the two interceptions against the Los Angeles Rams, two more interceptions against the Buffalo Bills, lost both of those games. Only 197 yards and two touchdowns to beat the Arizona Cardinals. But Monday night against the Eagles, 22 out of 31, 230 yards and one touchdown. And he hasn't really been running much either. He ran the ball. He ran the ball six times for 12 yards Monday night against against the Eagles. And of course, I'll tell you what what a what a train wreck. We'll we'll get to we'll get to the Eagles here in just a second. But anyway, Carson or Chris Carson was back on Monday night. What an awesome touchdown run that he had early on in the game. And as Sean likes to say, the Russell Wilson-DK Metcalf combo, that definitely worries me. As we know, DK Metcalf, 10 receptions for 177 yards against the Philadelphia Eagles. And the touchdown that he had to David Moore, that Russell Wilson had to David Moore. And I think, I was going to say, I mean, there's no reason why the Seattle Seahawks should lose this game. And how crazy is it that the New York Giants are 4-7 and seven <laughs> and they're leading the NFC East? Now the 7-4 and four Los Angeles Rams at the 6-5 and five Arizona Cardinals. Two very confusing teams, let's face it. Two very, very confusing teams. Who would have expected that the Rams would get swept by the 49ers in a year where they are riddled with injuries? But as I've been telling you guys for so long, even even before I started this podcast, I have said it myself. Jared Goff is one of the most overrated quarterbacks in the NFL. Everyone talks about Tom Brady being a system quarterback when he was in New England. Well, right now, Jared Goff, he is a system quarterback when it comes to the Los Angeles Rams. 19 out of 31 on Sunday against the 49ers, 198 yards, two interceptions, one fumble. I don't understand how people think that he's a good quarterback. I really don't. But when you have guys like Cooper Cup, (laughs) when you have guys like him, that make you look good. You have Cooper Cup. You have tight end has been very, very disappointing this year for the Los Angeles Rams. Tyler Higbee. (laughs) But Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Josh Reynolds, you have your, you know, you have a good core of receivers there. 
And, you know, Daryl Henderson, Malcolm Brown, the running game has been non-existent because we remember those Rams teams, those first two years under Sean McVay, how good they ran the ball when they had Todd Gurley before he left. And also before all the injuries started to pile up. And, of course, you know, with the defense, of course, you have Aaron Donald, you have Jalen Ramsey. And, of course, Ramsey ended up costing them the game on Sunday when he jumped off sides. And that enabled Robbie Gold to kick the, you know, kick the field goal right there at the end, 23-20. to With the Arizona Cardinals, you know, they lost to the New England Patriots, 20-17. to You could tell that Kyler, Murray, Kyler Murray's shoulder is still bothering him. Very, very limited action for him on Sunday. Taking a look at his stats, sure enough, 23 out of 34, 170 yards and an interception. King and Drake did one hell of a job running the ball for the Cardinals. You know, he got two touchdowns. 22 carries, 78 yards. You know, Chase Edmonds, we know how, you know, when he has been had to step in this year that he has done well. I mean, sure enough, the big game that he had against the Seahawks, Week 7, that comes to mind. But I've been saying it all year. I do not understand the hype with the Arizona Cardinals. I just don't. And as I talked about, you know, the margin for error for a lot of these teams, 7-4, and 6-5, and five, there's hardly any for both of them. So I got to go with the Los Angeles Rams on this one, especially knowing Kyler Murray, as good of a season that he has had, you could tell that he is definitely bothered by this injury. The 5-6 and six New England Patriots at the 3-8 and eight Los Angeles Chargers. Like I said, huge, huge win for the Patriots to keep their playoff hopes alive to, at least for one more week, avoid losing seven, at least seven games for the first time since 2002. That was the last time that the New England Patriots did not win 10 games on a season. It was 2002. They went 9-7. and seven, And sure enough, that was the only full season they missed the playoffs with Tom Brady. Now, Cam Newton, he has a bit of an abdomen strain, so he's been questionable, but as far as I know, he's still on track to play tomorrow. I I don't see what good it would do for their chances if they had Jared Stidham or Brian Hoyer in at quarterback. James White, like we talk about as far as PPR backs go, he had two touchdowns this past Sunday. Damian Harris has done an excellent job for them running the ball. I mean, you know... He didn't really have that great of a day on Sunday, only 47 yards, but the few weeks leading up to that have been very, very productive for the New England Patriots. Then, of course, Jacoby Myers, I was going to say, he has been solid as a rock for the Patriots for the past month or so. So I look at that, and, of course, Nick Folk, how he nailed the game-winning field goal there at the end. So... You can never count out Bill Belichick and the Patriots, especially when it's December. Even with them being five and six, even with Tom Brady gone, and for you know Justin Herbert on the other side, you can't help but feel sorry for him. I mean, this kid has played his tail off ever since he surprisingly had to take over week two before the game when Tyrod Taylor. We all heard about that medical snafu. I think Justin Herbert has done an amazing job. I mean, he's on pace to break some rookie records. It's just a shame that the team is 3-8 and eight when there's so much talent there. Austin Eckler, you know, he finally came back last week after he was on injured reserve for a month and a half. And Keenan Allen, he leads the league in the NFL with receptions. 
And, I mean, Joey Bosa, he's had an amazing season. But, like I said, it's just the injuries. It's just the inconsistent play. And, you know, the offensive line. Look at how Josh – or look at how Justin Herbert was trying to score there at the very end against the Buffalo Bills and got sacked. And it was like the offensive line wasn't even trying. And it's a shame because Anthony Lynn, I feel like he is one of the, the brightest coaches in the NFL. But I feel like his time with the Chargers, I feel like it's going to run out. And Bill Belichick is 20-5 and five against rookie quarterbacks. So as great as it would be to see the Chargers win, I think that record improves to 21-5. and five. Now, CBS's Game of the Week. <laughs> the 3-7-1 Philadelphia Eagles at the 8-3 Green Bay Packers. That's right, Tony Romo and Jim Nance are calling this game. And these are two teams that are headed in opposite directions. Now, leading up to Monday night last week, all the buzz was about how the Eagles, how they were going to incorporate Jalen Hurts into their game plan, yada, yada, yada. So sure enough, and not only that, but you hear about all this tension with Doug Peterson and Jeffrey Lurie, the owner. And how Jeffrey Lurie, how he didn't attend the game against the Cleveland Browns November 22nd, and there was some sort of excuse that, you know, he didn't go because he wanted to make sure that he could visit his mom on, on Thanksgiving, whatever. So they put Jalen Hurts in for one play, and this was when Wentz was already overthrowing people and getting, you know, like I said, getting close to, the, to getting sacked. Put him in for one play. Jalen Hurts completes a six-yard pass. Doug Peterson pulls him out, puts Wentz back in, and he gets sacked. And if it wasn't for the defense on fourth down twice in that game, the stops by Derek Barnett, if it wasn't for that, this game would have been a blowout. But it's confusing to me. You only use him for two plays the whole game. And, you know, Jeffrey Lurie, he wanted them to draft Jalen Hurts, and it sounds like he wants him to be the starter. And Doug Peterson is basically saying the hell with you. Don't tell me how to run my team. You know, if you want me to pack my bags at the end of the year, so be it. I don't care. I'm going to stick with Carson Wentz. I mean, even even if he's as horrible as he's been this year, I'm going to stick with him. So what a mess in Philadelphia. Underutilizing Miles Sanders, six carries for 15 yards. And the story how Jim Schwartz, their defensive coordinator, how he walked up to DK Metcalf before the game because he was the head coach of the Detroit Lions from 2009 to 2013, and we all remember Calvin Johnson, and he said to him, he said, I had Megatron when I was in Detroit. He said, but you're not there just yet. Why would you say that to one of the most, I was going to say one of the most talented and up-and-coming receivers in the NFL? Why the hell would you say that? And like Boone talked about, Howie Roseman, his horrible draft picks, they're starting to catch up. I mean, this is a team that could have drafted DK Metcalf last year and took J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. This is a team that could have had Justin Jefferson, the amazing season, rookie season that he has had for the Minnesota Vikings. And you take Jalen Rager, who's been hurt most of the year. And on the other side of the ball, you have Aaron Rodgers tossing touchdowns on Sunday night like nothing. Like, the Chicago Bears hardly even touched him. You know, touchdown to Devontae Adams. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. And, 
Of course, when you look at Wentz, when you look at how terrible the offensive line is, Jason Peters, why they still have him starting is beyond me. He's 38 years old. He's been hurt. And you look at Preston and Zadarius Smith, how they were able to rush the quarterback and how they got after Mitch Trubisky. And Merle Reese, the play-by-play guy for the Philadelphia Eagles for 40-plus years before he signed off on Monday night and how he said, next week the Eagles travel to Lambeau Field. Parental discretion advised. What does that tell you about the direction of the team? So, Green Bay in a blowout. In a blowout. And like I said, at this point, I think Doug Peterson and Jim Schwartz, I think that their days are numbered. But like Boone said, (laughs) Howie Roseman, it seems like he escapes it every time. Sunday night football, the 4-7 Denver Broncos at the 10-1 Kansas City Chiefs. What a crazy week. Jeff Driscoll, one of the quarterbacks for the Broncos, testing positive for COVID-19. All the other quarterbacks, Drew Locke being one of them, you know, how they were ineligible, ruled ineligible to play against the New Orleans Saints. And Kendall Hinton, a re- or I was going to say a practice squad receiver, having to step in a quarterback. And he had not played quarterback for a number of years. Three years ago, Wake Forest. So they were up the creek without a paddle. So sure enough, Drew Locke, Brett Rippon, not allowed to play. And like I said, Jeff Driscoll after a testing positive. I mean, it, it, you know that game was a blowout, and I think this is going to be a blowout as well. I mean, even though you have Melvin Gordon, Philip Lindsay, and Royce Freeman at running back, even with... You know, I mean, Jerry Judy, he's got an ankle injury. But even with the complement of receivers that they have with K.J. Hamler, Deshaun Hamilton, Tim Patrick, Noah Fan at tight end, I don't think it's going to matter. We're talking about Patrick Mahomes. 462 yards on Sunday against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And how Tyreek Hill, the first quarter alone, had 203 yards and two touchdowns. You know? Absolutely amazing. Unbelievable. Absolutely Unbelievable. So you look at that, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, sounds like he's sick. So who knows, Le'Veon Bell, he might get a bulk of the carries depending on Edwards-Alaire, depending on his status. So the weapons are there. And, of course, like I said, Travis Kelsey as well. <clears throat> this game isn't even going to be close. It's going to be the Kansas City Chiefs in a blowout. It really, really is. And <laughs> Tampa Bay is on a bye which is ironic because, like I said, Tom Brady looked awful in that game. Sure enough, they only, I mean, they ended up losing 27 to 24, but once again, just overthrowing people, the two interceptions, you know, and Bruce Arians has said it. He has said it. He, he said Tom Brady has to play better. Simple as that. But, you know, in Skip Bayless's mind, it's Bruce Arians' fault, you know, when he doesn't realize it, Bruce Arians, it's an aired out defense. It's not a check down offense, or I was going to say it's an aired out offense, not a check down offense like the New England Patriots has been the 20 years that he was there. So, you know, Skip Bayless should have realized that, that Tom Brady has never had a strong arm. So quit bitching and blaming Bruce Arians or blaming, you know, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Cameron Bray. Quit blaming the defense, you know, because in Skip Bayless's mind, like I said, it's never Tom Brady's fault. It's always everybody else's. Now, two games on Monday, 5 o'clock, the 11-0 Pittsburgh Steelers hosting the 4-7 Washington football team. You know what? I'm not going to lie. 
and this pains me to say this, but I think that first loss could come on Monday. Let's face it. The Washington football team, they played on Thanksgiving. Dominant, dominant win against the Dallas Cowboys, 41-16. to And that front that the Washington football team has, what else can you say? Seriously, Ricky Chase Young, Ryan Kerrigan, Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s favorite member of the team, Montez Sweat, that defensive front for the Washington football team is nasty. And on the other side of the ball, Antonio Brown, sure enough, the the three touchdowns that he had on Thanksgiving, Alex Smith doing a remarkable job with scary Terry McLaurin. And sure enough, how he tracked down Jalen Smith and saved them from the Dallas Cowboys having a pick six. Logan Thomas, he's done a, done a great job. Sims has done a great job. And with the Steelers, you know, with Ben Roethlisberger, he, you know, he was on the injury report today because of his knee. You have that. James Conner is still on the COVID list. Still on the COVID list. And like I said, God bless him. I hope he's doing well, especially given his health history. Now, Stephon Tuitt, he was activated today. He will be back. But like I said, Bud Dupree, he's done for the season with a torn ACL. TJ Watt, one-man wrecking crew. Cam Hayward, I'm so thankful that the NFL didn't fine him for his sack of RG3. That's absolutely ridiculous. You know, rough in the passer. So you have two of the best defenses in the NFL. But like I said, with the Steelers' offense, that's where the concerns come. Marquise Pouncey is still on the COVID list. And, you know, Benny Snell, like I said, Benny Snell had a decent day against the Ravens, but not really all that great. So you have that. And you also have, like I said, Alex Highsmith, rookie linebacker for the Steelers. He's now going to take Bud Dupree's place. Steve Nelson, the corner that they got from Kansas City, sounds like he's doubtful with a knee injury. And on top of it, Chris Boswell, their kicker, his hip is bothering him. So when I look at the Washington football team, when I look at them having 10 days to prepare for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Steelers only having... Five days to prepare. Four days for that matter. I just have that feeling. I have that feeling that that first loss is going to come on Monday because of a short week, because of all the injuries. And Colin Coward will be absolutely thrilled come Tuesday if that happens. Like I said, I hope I'm wrong. I just have that gut feeling. And then 8-15, the 8-3 Buffalo Bills at the 5-6 San Francisco 49ers. Like I said, the game is in Arizona, State Farm Stadium, where the Arizona Cardinals play. Joshua MVP Allen, as Boone likes to say, got another new target, Gabriel Davis, after John Brown has been placed on injured reserve because of his ankle. And how about that trick play, Cole Beasley throwing that touchdown? (laughs) That was absolutely incredible how he threw that touchdown to Gabriel Davis. And, you know, the Bills' running game has really kind of been non-existent this year when you think of it. Whether it's been Devin Singletary or Zach Moss, I know he's been hurt most of the year. San Francisco 49ers, they're 5-6. and six. Nick Mullins, he's the quarterback. They finally got Raheem Mostert back. You know, Robbie Gold, one of the most clutch kickers in the NFL, been around a long time. And Javon Kinlaw, how he had had the touchdown Defensive touchdown for the 49ers on Monday night. But like I said, Buffalo, they're one of the best teams in the business, so I see them prevailing. Then finally, Tuesday night, 
The three and eight Dallas Cowboys at the six and five Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson, he will be activated come Sunday. You know, they'll have Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins. The other scary thing is Mark Andrews, their tight end, type one diabetic. He tested positive for COVID. So, like I said, hopefully he, he's doing well. But the Dallas Cowboys being three and eight, oh my God. Andy Dalton had a decent game, but nothing great. But Zeke Elliott, five fumbles on the season. Five fumbles. And sure enough, he had one of them on Thanksgiving against the Washington football team. It's an absolute mess. And how ironic, Des Bryant is now a part of the 53-man roster for the Baltimore Ravens. You know, how crazy would that be if he were to score a touchdown against his old team, knowing that he didn't really leave on the best of terms? You go back and you watch his interview with Jane Slater after the Cowboys released him. You could tell there was a little bit of bad blood there, to say the least. So even with that, I have to go with the Baltimore Ravens. Just have to. So a quick recap of all of our Week 13 games. Tennessee Titans over the Cleveland Browns. Woo! The Las Vegas Raiders over the New York Jets. Minnesota Vikings over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Miami Dolphins over the Cincinnati Bengals. Indianapolis Colts over the Houston Texans. Chicago Bears over the Detroit Lions. New Orleans Saints over the Atlanta Falcons. Seattle Seahawks over the New York Giants. Los Angeles Rams over the Arizona Cardinals. New England Patriots over the Los Angeles Chargers. Green Bay Packers over the Philadelphia Eagles. Kansas City Chiefs over the Denver Broncos for the two games on Monday. I hate to say it, but I have a feeling the Washington football team over the Pittsburgh Steelers, Buffalo Bills over the Arizona 49ers, I guess you could say, and for Tuesday night, the Baltimore Ravens over the Dallas Cowboys. So that's going to do it for episode 33 of Jake's Take. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Be sure to tell all your friends about the Facebook page, Jake's Take Podcast. Have a great evening. Y'all take it easy.